Hello and welcome to the True Purpose Podcast. My name is Will Stewart and I'm founder of True Purpose Enterprises. We are a collection of businesses created to empower and promote future-proof enterprises that drive both business, happiness and success. On this podcast, our conversations will explore what it means to lead with true purpose and why this is necessary for people, planet and most crucially profit. If you like inspiring stories of resilience, purpose, happiness, and biscuits, then your ears are in the right place. So for anyone that has been sharing air with me these past few months, you will know that I am absolutely obsessed with podcasts and this one, because I get to discuss true purpose in all its glory with inspirational humans. And today's guest is certainly a top tier one. This week's guest has had an eclectic career working across PR, social media, program production, brand management, and has even lent her voice to others in the voiceover world. But it was the wildly successful and unprecedented growth of the Pinch of Non blog that is where things really took off beyond comprehension. Pinch of Non is a phenomenal success. It all started with a simple idea in 2016 Um, a blog that quickly garnered a highly engaged following, a following that now contains 1.2 million humans on Instagram and over 4 million followers across all the channels. The first cookbook quickly became the fastest selling recipe book of all time, which is a ridiculous statement when you think how many cookbooks are knocking around there. Um, And sales of the cookbooks have now passed 4.5 million. They are stocked absolutely everywhere. This really is a phenomenal brand. And of course, the entire thing was built on purpose. And this defines everything they do in every day of the business. Her wedding was Star Wars themed, so she has my utmost respect already. And she survived many challenging times and always come out stronger. Dogs are the love of her life, and she is our newest and shiniest and most purposey new client here at True Purpose Enterprises. So I am extremely excited this week because we have the co-founder of Pinch of Nom and all-round food legend, Kay Allison. I've got to say that is one of the the most buildy-uppy intros I've ever heard. I don't don't do compliments, and I don't do... I, I try and avoid as much about me as possible. But kind of hearing that back is a little bit emotional. Yeah, you should be so proud yeah. of what you've achieved. You know, we talk to you know, thousands of brands and we really look for people that are who they say they are and live by their their values and live by that purpose element because that's who we want to work with, ambitious brands with purpose. And I think the other thing is you find with people that are like that, they don't they're not brilliant at blowing their own trumpet and they're not brilliant at accepting compliments. So sometimes it can feel a bit uncomfortable. I could say all the horrible things I've written down about you, but then I thought, nah, let's leave all of that. Let's leave all of that. Um, so yeah. So look, thank you very much for coming on. I really love the brand and I am over the moon that we're working together. And also some other information for you in terms of you know, how well it's been received. You know, we've worked with lots and lots of brands. You know, in my career, I've worked with Coca-Cola and, you know, giant food brands. When we started business, we worked with Leon, the restaurant chain, and Innocent. And food is such a passionate part of the brand licensing industry and something people really buy into. But yeah. I don't think we've ever had the reaction that we've had on your brand so far in such a short space of time. 
So it's really, really exciting about what we're going to achieve together. And this, you know, podcast is a really good opportunity to talk about that in more detail and talk about the brand, but also really highlight that purpose is central to that. So should we just start with, you know, in your words, what is Pinch of Nom? Oh, oh, I get asked this question so often. What is Nom? What does it mean? What do you do? It's funny, people fall into one of two camps. They either they either have no clue whatsoever in any way, shape or form, or they will scream when they hear what I do. And it's it's really polar opposites. It's crazy. I mean, one in four households in the UK have one of our cookbooks in their house. I think we worked it out and it's like nearly a quarter of a million meals are made every day, which is, it's a bit, it's just madness. Does that give you tingles when you even say those words? I think it, tingles is a funny word. Um, I think on one hand, I'm so proud, like so proud. And then there's another part of me that's like, well, why isn't it half a million a day? Because there's always going to be that competitive. I am ridiculously competitive, and usually with myself. But then there's the other part of me that's like, do you know what? This is really amazing. Like, you two managed to do this in a space where, like, I mean, our competition are chefs that we admire, whose cookbooks we have. I mean, Nigella, Jamie... I'm, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot there. And for us to have been able to do that is insane. And I still can't quite comprehend all of it. Yeah, I think the other thing is the speed at which it's happened. You know, 2016, I mean, from a life point of view, it feels like it's 30 years ago, doesn't it? But to come from writing a blog, well, what was the blog born out of? Was that, you know, just you were bored and you thought I'm going to write or was it if only yeah <laughs> oh, did you okay so when you started writing I mean you've, you've written before right your career has been kind of you know mixed yeah my career has been extremely mixed I mean it is the CV of your typical ADHD we <laughs> we go from job to job and we thrive on certainly in my case, panic and crisis and managing crises and just trying to do the best that I can possibly do because anything less is just not worth it, right? And yeah, my, I wouldn't call it a career. I just call it like, I don't know. It's a weird one. A collection of jobs you didn't really like. Yeah, I mean, some of them, it wasn't until... I worked for a particular firm in Canada that I'd never really enjoyed work before and actually felt like I was doing something that A, was changing people's lives, was really good fun in the meantime, but also it came quite easy to me, which is really weird. And it was the same with the restaurant with Kate. So let's, let's like not be a seat because I'm just going to go off on a tangent really straight away and I'm it's going to be so far away from your question in true and very typical ADHD form 
Don't worry, I like tangents on this because you get invited to do lots of podcasts. And the obvious questions are, you know, what is what is known, what's the point of it, etc. But tangents are important because we want to talk about purpose. And you've mentioned there a number of jobs that you you know you didn't particularly like work or the jobs that you've done or there wasn't something drawing you to them. But then you highlight a role in Canada. And the first thing you said about it was helping people. And that was something that appealed to you. Yeah, I think it's one of, it's a weird thing and it's really hard to it's really hard for me to articulate this point without me sounding like I'm an absolute wanker. But my life has always been about other people. Always. Whether that's Kate, who is my wife and my business partner, for those that don't know, living and working with your wife is quite interesting sometimes. But yeah, like we have always the whole point of whatever we've done is for other people like her family are very similar as well and Kate has always cooked for people it's what she's always done she left school at the age of 16 thought that being a chef was an easy thing right and became I mean she's an incredible cook she stands there and cooks and it's insane and I'm like how what are you doing how are you doing this? And she's like, I don't know. I'm just doing it. Which was challenging when it came to writing down recipes because she didn't want to and still doesn't like to. But anyway, I digress. So way back when, when I first initially met Kate, Kate had a restaurant on the Wirral, which is where I am currently. And it was, it, she was in a bit of a weird spot. She had a business partner who was about to go on maternity leave I had appeared out of, I mean, we we met back on the internet when, I mean, apps are all the rage now, dating apps, and it's very weird. Very weird. Um, <laughs> but we met on the internet back in the day when it was even weirder. And I appeared and I was like, I want to learn how to wash your dishes. I mean, that's quite the chat line, right? Yeah. And <laughs> it's unique. <laughs> oh, it certainly was unique. Because um, I didn't have a clue. I remember walking into a restaurant and I was like, don't you cook everything now? And she's like, no, we do prep. This is exactly what we're doing now. And I'm like, but don't you just do it like on the fly? And she's like, no, like you have to prepare. What are you stupid woman? Anyway, it's really amusing, actually. And we had some of the best times there. But for us, it was providing an experience to other people that they could enjoy with their friends, their family. And actually giving them food that they wanted to eat that was really unpretentious. I mean, it was the way that I described a restaurant once was hilarious. I was like, well, it's just the food that you wish that your mum could make, but really doesn't. (laughs) And tries to make, but does it really badly. I mean, like the roast dinners were legendary. We'd have, I mean, we had... In total, just under 40 covers. And we'd easily do like 100 roast dinners on a Sunday. It was crazy. But of course, it was a long time ago now. And we went through the first recession, which was painful. Ridiculously painful. So when was this? 2008 2008, yeah. yeah. And it was, it was not fun. 
No, that was brutal, that recession, yeah. Yeah, I mean, times are, are pretty hard now with cost of living and, you know, the price of things going up. And, I mean, we've had COVID to deal with in the meantime. We've had quite a few economical challenges, but 2008 was, I mean, it hit normal people in their pockets. And one of the first things that you do when you're a bit skint is you stop going out and enjoying yourself. And for us, it was like, this ain't great. Like, what the hell? Do you think it was worse for you then because it was the first you know, major macro disaster that you'd been through? Because I, I think it's as bad now, but we're a bit more resilient because we're just constantly battling horrific things that affect us. And if you were running this hugely successful restaurant that was your exciting new passion and then you can get to a point in business where you think what could go wrong that could scupper this and it's difficult to it's difficult to identify because then you plan for them but a recession of that scale and so much of the economy collapsing means everyone stops exactly what you said they're not coming for the ropes suddenly your business that was really thriving and successful is now effectively worthless it's a yeah. you know a drain on resources because you have fixed costs and no one comes in and it's incredibly mentally destroying which you hadn't maybe been prepared for at that time oh not at all I mean neither of us were neither of us were prepared and it was a short it wasn't short it was a long sharp shock we went from being really busy to Things started to get a little bit quiet. Obviously, food went up. And when you're dealing with fresh food, it's not fun when you there's no one to eat it and they don't want to give you pennies for it. It really sucks. I mean, I don't think I'd ever do it again, put it that way. The stress landed me in hospital with a couple of infections just because my immune system was so... I mean, it was fucked, to be frank. Yeah. But around that time was really weird because up popped this thing called Twitter. And everyone was like, oh, this is pretty good. I mean, it's we're talking about when Twitter was cool because, yeah, we won't talk about it now. Put it that way. And it's not even called Twitter anymore. It's it's just, yeah. Well, maybe it's just a lot of anger and complaining now. But it was a really great tool when it first came. And you could put out these little messages and... It was sort of more fun, wasn't it? It was amazing. Yeah, I think it was short, sharp bursts of niceties, whereas now it's not, badly. But for me, it was it was a weird one. I used to stand behind the bar on the laptop and I would tweet pictures of our food. Food's so emotive. I mean, I'm very keen on food. I love it. It's great. It's amazing. It stirs up in me, especially when it's good, when it's bad, not so much. But, I mean, food is incredibly emotive. People eat with their eyes. I mean, there's the whole, I mean, there's the old adage of you shouldn't judge a book by its cover. But when it comes to food, you can't help but do that because it has to look nice. I mean, it really does. So, yeah, I used to just, I, I initially started tweeting out into the ether and I was like, well, this isn't working. We need to, like, find our people. And back then, location services were just... They were really new. And I searched for, like, the Twitterers. Is that what we were called? Yeah. 
like in our local area and we just started chatting to people as if you know because here I am behind this restaurant account but it's run by two people and when you know at that time we were foremost of the business our restaurant had an open kitchen so we were literally and I work front of house so it was us I mean it was it was part of our personality and, and it certainly became very much part of our personality. Yeah. And so we started chatting to local folks and just engaging in everyday conversation. Yeah, so you used the, the technology to build a local community and use it for a positive, a positive thing. Social media is about connecting socially and it's gone full circle where it's, it's now just <laughs> lies and bullshit and anger, right? But the original point of it was so positive. I mean, you can go all the way back to Friends Reunited, if you're, if you're that. Yeah. Oh, totally. When that first came out and you could connect with people that you've lost touch with, it was like, that was such a positive thing. So you started tweeting pictures of food long before the Instagram food. Oh, long porn before. Thing. It's so weird. When we started the blog, I mean, we started the blog nearly, well, yeah, eight years ago. And part and parcel of that was taking photos of food, which Kate hates to do. Kate just likes making it. She's not a woman who likes fancy things in life. We're both very down to earth. And she's like, why do I need to make it look poncy? Like, what is the point of this? And it was like, thinking about it, it was exactly the same back then. She's like, why do I need to make it look ridiculously nice it's it looks nice as it is but i think that's why your partnership works because she doesn't give a shit about all of that other stuff she is purely focused on the chefing creating this wonderful thing and what's one of the most wonderful things in life is someone cooking you a meal right what a lovely thing you sit down they tell me about it right i've got the best job right (laughs) i'm chief taste tester i mean (laughs) but what you do for her is you force her like she's gonna hate everything you do i imagine because exactly that right take a photo why make it look pretty why but that's the whole point of you that's your part in this partnership is to you know bring I don't know, the wonder of Kate out to more people because you believe that that's what people should see. She's clearly incredibly talented and, as we said, an incredibly competitive world. And you've been the one that's forced that into the world through whether it's technology or building the community or writing, engaging with people. That's absolutely vital. You know, this could have not happened at all because a lot of those really talented, creative people aren't going to be, oh, let's show it off. Let's go and show people what I'm doing. They would yeah, just get on with it and, and create more brilliance that no one would see. That no one would see. Yeah. So it's the power of marketing, really, and how you have, have built that. And I guess battled all the way. I couldn't imagine working and living together as a as a couple and doing all those things i god forbid what your arguments are like but there's clearly a balance that works where you listen and respect each other enough to make this work let's go back you mentioned earlier about both of you are people that want to help people or have always been in that space why is that is there something back early days or you know an early memory of purpose or something that happened where you felt you wanted to 
serve or help other people? Was that something that happened or was it just something that evolved? I think it was something that evolved. As a child, I didn't have a particularly great time at school. I find it really difficult. I didn't quite fit in. I certainly wasn't as intelligent as the rest of the group. I think that's the best way to put it. And I really didn't want to be there. Like, I wanted to be out in the big bad world. I wanted to have my own business. I mean, that was drilled into me from quite the early age. And I wanted to make money. I didn't understand why we were learning about trigonometry and not learning about interest rates on mortgages. Yeah. And it, it really bewildered me. In fact, this, the whole school experience bewildered me because it was like, I'm learning skills. I mean, to be fair, surface area and area of rooms has been immensely useful. I mean, <laughs> immensely. However, there isn't much about World War Two. Or, I mean, I'm struggling to think. All that knowledge about the Battle of Hastings is valuable in the food business, isn't it? Because Oh, I mean, totally. I mean, the Magna Carta was <laughs> the, I mean, it's intrinsic to... This comes up a lot about schooling and business owners, I think. And, you know, I have quite clear opinions on an education system that was set up for an industrial age when everyone just had to do what they were told to work in a factory their entire life, to now we're still teaching them the same basic curriculum when the world of work, we employ lots of people. So when we interview people, we're looking for creative problem solvers and people that have got ideas that you couldn't have yourself and, and people that can deliver and people that are driven and people that have a load of skills that we're not particularly teaching people or teaching children in school and it's fascinating like even the definition of intelligence I find a bit frustrating because people say like you said you know I wasn't as intelligent as the other people now if your definition of intelligence is here's a load of information about 1066 and the Battle of Hastings can you learn that information and apply it parrot fashion to an exam and then you get a tick and you're intelligent. Whereas, you know, people coming up with a different view or a more efficient way of answering the question or all those sorts of things, they're all seen as disruptive troublemakers, problems, people that aren't going to fit the system. Whereas successful people today, practically everybody that you speak to who is running a successful business are disruptors, they're troublemakers, their problem their we were the naughty kids problem for the system <laughs> yeah funny that isn't it but it, it it's is. amazing and do you think that schooling the fact that you didn't fit in and you had this vision you wanted to run a business as a kid right and make money yeah so my parents own their own business so my weekends every bit of holiday every every bit of time that Kind of maybe should have been mine, you know, to have a rest and to do things that kids want to do. No, I mean, I was working in a flower shop quite often in the cold because it was freaking freezing. Yeah. And I wanted to, like, I wanted to just do my own thing. I didn't want to do what everyone else was doing. It's funny, you kind of, as you were talking there, you unlock this core memory of... In design and technology, in the second year at school, was it second or first? It was one of them. And it was, here's a piece of wood, do something with it. So people were making chairs, lamps, 
whatever. Muggins here. I was like, no, I'm going to come up with a business plan so the school can sell all of its offcuts of wood and make a profit. Because all these pieces of wood are going in the bin. You're not chipping them. Like, what the hell? And my DT teacher, I think at the time, was absolutely horrified because it was like, what is this child doing? I must have been about 11 or 12. And I was like, this, it makes no sense. Like, there's money to be made. Like, I just wanted to, I wanted to be able to put myself in a position where I wasn't going to struggle. Yeah. And yeah, like, my childhood was okay. I think when I left school, I had a really hard time. I couldn't find anything that fitted. I had a few relationship issues. They were fun, not. Um, And then I I met Kate. And that's kind of a really long story short. But literally, like, we got on really well. Very polar opposites. Insanely so. I mean, I'm the one that comes up with the mad ideas. She's the one that has to put up with them. And... <laughs> Don't envy her most days because, I mean, none was one of those crazy ideas. Amazing, though, because if you've not chucked it out there, here's a crazy idea. I love people that are prepared mm-hmm. to say a crazy idea because so many of us don't. We go, oh, it sounds stupid. I won't say it. And you doubt yourself. You, like, you have that moment of self-doubt. But you've obviously got a confidence in her where you could just say anything because the key thing with ideas is most of them are shit, really shit. Yeah. But if someone, oh, they're awful. Yeah, but but the difference is, if you come up with an idea and say it, someone else can greenhouse it and actually make it into something better. But if you've not come up with the idea in the first place, none maybe yeah. wouldn't even exist. So without the idea, nothing grows. I think it's difficult sometimes for people to articulate ideas in a way that, I mean, we're all very, me especially, I'm extremely aware that most of my ideas are absolute bollocks I mean for every 100 ideas one of them's a good one and it's something that I will tell people the whole world over I mean Nom was one of those that was a good idea during the evolution of Pinch of Nom there have been some really stupid ideas and some of them we have pursued and they have not worked out but there's been I mean there's there's obviously been quite a few that Kind of worked out okay. Most people can't come up with 100 ideas, and most people that can won't tell people about those ideas. So, Mm -hmm. you know, a big thing about being successful in business is to be coming up with ideas. Ideas is a currency. And secondly, being able to voice them for someone who can filter them from the good to the shit ones. And then the plan is deliver the good ones, and if they go wrong or they were the wrong ones, make the decision quickly, cut that and try something else. And being resilient, so you don't ever give up, right? Because there would have been, I wonder how many times during this eight-year journey of NOM that you thought, oh, fuck this. Let's just forget it all. This isn't working. I'm shit. Let's move on. Do something else. There's been so many. I mean, so many. I think resilience for me has been absolute key, has been if this doesn't work, we need to try and find what does work. So when the restaurant went under, Kate's mum was really ill. She had a brain hemorrhage and basically should have died. And times were really shit. 
And the restaurant became associated with an evening where we couldn't get home because we were too busy cooking for other people. I mean, her dad had basically rung us and said, she's got really bad migraine, she's gone to bed. And we got home really late. And the next morning we were like, actually, there's something really wrong. Like, let's call an ambulance. Like, this is not a migraine. And the restaurant became associated with this event of, if we weren't too busy trying to make other people happy, that may have had a better outcome. To be fair to Kath, Kate's mum, resilience was just her. Like the amount of issues that they had as a family, particularly with money, way back when, when you could buy a house for like four grand. Oh, I'm so jealous. And they helped Kate at every point during her profession. Like, I mean, they, they helped bankroll the restaurant. Yeah. Because they were so proud of her. And it was amazing to witness, like, in a way that I hadn't been partial to the same thing. Yeah. And it was, in a way, it was really alien to me. I was like, this is weird, but I'm going to go with it. This is quite cool. So the restaurant became associated with this horrific event. And, I mean, times were really crap at the time. We'd just recently expanded and definitely bit off way more than we could chew. And, like, we went under and food and cooking became associated with this really stressful event. I mean, we fell out of love completely with cooking. We couldn't watch anything on the TV that was about the restaurant industry. It was was so raw. I mean, I take accountability for quite a lot of things that I shouldn't have to take accountability for or that aren't really my fault. And I felt really bad. It was shit. It was... What got you through, though? I've seen you talk about non before and talk about the purpose. And, you know, the purpose of it is to help other people. And you discussed Mm. there that you were in the restaurant helping other people uh, because that's the purpose of it. And it almost affected a major life incident that, that changed things. Do you think there's a challenge of being too driven by that purpose and serving other people and forgetting what's important. Totally. Totally. And sacrificing ourselves for other people. How have you changed then? You've come a long way since the restaurant. Therapy. Okay. (laughs) Therapy's good. I love a bit of therapy. Lots of therapy. An awful lot of therapy. Yeah, I think with NOM, it was our chance to do things again. But instead of feeding people physically, we did it virtually, which meant that the cost of the ingredients didn't fall to us, it fell to other people. And we just needed to come up with the medium and the way and the words, more importantly, to facilitate that end. You know, that end of we're going to hold your hand through this trying time over the hob or the oven or whatever kitchen appliance you want to use and we're going to get you through and at the end of it you'll have something that looks like a picture because that's the really important part that it's achievable and it was really weird I mean we went to a weight loss group Kate and I have been overweight I've been overweight for most of my life so's Kate I mean we are literally just two fat chefs the amount of things that have been said about the two fat ladies I mean Kate's sister was living with us at the time she was actually going through a divorce was I mean it was fraught in our house and it was really busy 
and she had a go at us one day. We basically piled on weight since the restaurant ended and since us being at that particular junction in our life. I certainly had, and I know Kate had too. And we were like, okay, like, we'll go with this. Like, Lisa is strong-arming us into doing yet again something that Lisa wants to do and we'll go to support. And we went along and we were... We were given some food to taste. And I say food. It was interesting. Kate was horrified. It was a, oh, it was, so it was a piece of what is called curry loaf. And basically curry loaf is a tin of lentils, I think about eight eggs, and a pack of golden rice. And you basically mix it all together, put it in the oven, and it comes out like, like you would expect those three ingredients to come out. Yeah. Um, is this recipe going to be in the new book or is it one that no. didn't make the cut? <laughs> no. It's a, it's a weird, I mean, it's, a, it's an acquired taste. Personally, I don't like lentils. They don't agree with me. And Kate's exactly the same, weirdly. And I'm a, a bit particular when it comes to curry flavours. And I'm just particular in general. Like, I am, I am well known as being a bit of a fussy cow. I mean, that is the person that, I mean, I just said that and I've just realised that one of my one of my guilty pleasures in life is the odd occasional sausage and egg McMuffin from McDonald's, but it's because it's yeah. consistent. You know what you're getting and it fills the hole. Um, curry loaf was none of those things. <laughs> and it's still priced as it was 20 years ago, right? Yeah, it's something exactly from a right. pricing point of I view, mean, McDonald's still get right. Crazy. But considering their supply chain, it's just... Honestly, the respect that I have for the Golden Arch is insane from a business point of view. Yeah, mine too. <laughs> you went to a group. Yeah. The food wasn't where it needed to be. Was that then the trigger point for you saying, look, it's something healthy doesn't need to taste shit? Exactly. Somebody was asking how they made chips. And Kate looked at me with the look. And I've never forgotten the look on her face because it was like, what the actual fuck? And I very quickly reminded her that when we met, I used to burn pizza. Not everybody can cook as well as Kate Allenson can cook. And um, I mean, she's not a cocky chef at all. But when it comes to common sense, Kate can quite often be like, what are you doing? Why are you doing it like that? Um, and actually, one of the first things that I cooked for her was pizza, and I did burn it. And I was so frigging embarrassed. I mean, I did it quite recently as well because I got distracted. So, I mean, I've still got it. But remember, <laughs> you know, Delia told us how to boil an egg at one point. And I think there is so much snobbery in the cooking world. And one of the reasons why you've been so successful, it's very inclusive. You, you know, there's no... Like, people don't want to ask the question of how to make chips or whatever. So people then don't learn to cook their entire life because they might feel stupid because there's too many snobby people going, oh, don't you know how to cook chips? It's like, I think a big part of when I look at the brand from an external point of view of the purpose of it is you, you are making things very easy for everyone. And you're not in any way, I think, God knows what sort of questions you get on your feed, but I imagine you're very kind in every answer because your purpose is helping people learn to cook and eat healthy food, right? That's the that's the ultimate purpose. And 
you've used technology in the blog to scale it and make it accessible to everyone, which again is another key part of inclusivity. I think it's really important. I wasn't learned how to cook at school. Kate was. And I mean, I left school. My mum was quite a good cook, actually, in all fairness. I really liked food, but I had no idea how to get to that end goal. None. And I had nobody to teach me either. If you look back to like 2000, 2007, 2008, and you look at the chefs that were on the TV at the time, it was all about aspirational cooking and entertaining people and creating kind of like restaurant quality dishes at home. There was nobody saying, apart from Delia, actually, in all yeah. fairness, because people need to, they need to cook to eat, to live. Like it's an essential it was a show-off world, yeah. and Delia got a load of shit for telling people how to boil an egg, so probably no one else until you guys thought, I'm going to show some. I'm going to take another crack at it. Uh-huh. Yeah. What an awful pun. Yeah. That's another thing that I also provide bucket loads of, much to Kate's horror, I think. <laughs> so let's jump to sort of now. Like, businesses scaled hugely how are you going to manage? And it, because it's purpose-led, you're, it's addictive, right? And Absolutely. You know, so naturally you want to help more people because that's your purpose. So I can help more people. You know, if four and a half million people are being helped, I want to help five million. You know, how Ten. You, exactly. <laughs> you know, there's seven billion to get to. So you're probably, you've got a long way. How will you control that? Or how are you different now in terms of being obsessive and addicted to the purpose of this business and also balancing that with your own mental well-being your own life you know your menagerie of animals and your marriage until quite recently as in the past two years I didn't I did not manage it well so when we got home after being at that group I sat down on my laptop and I was like I think this is a really good idea. I think, Kate, you should share your recipes with people so you can just teach them how to cook. And I sat down and I was like, okay, I need to make a website. I need to make a logo. I mean, my list was as long as my arm. I think I went to sleep at about six o'clock the next morning. And then the next day it happened. And the next day that happened and that just continued that way for years quite often I would be up till about 4am I don't sleep that well anyway the house was quiet it's quite nice to get work done in the middle of the night and I'm a night owl and I just had this drive of like come on you can do this and I mean (laughs) it went a bit mad in all fairness yeah and my certainly I was driven by, we will never be in the position that, I mean, I largely felt responsible. Kate will very much disagree with this, that it was my fault because it, I think it was both of ours. But I was like, I never want her or her family to be put in that position again, where we, we basically, like, we nearly lost everything. And that was the drive was we are never going to be in that position again. And I did everything I could, usually at the sacrifice of me, to kind of make that happen. So I used to work a lot, an awful lot. And then we didn't have anyone to learn from. So it was a case of 
okay, we need to take pictures of food. How do we get there? Like, how do we get to the end result? And I'm sure someone somewhere has gone through our food photos in the Wayback Machine and gone like, oh my God, what the hell? Yes, some of them, I mean, there's a radioactive pea soup that, I, that immediately comes to mind and I'm horrified. You should, you should photograph the burnt pizza. I think that's that was, <laughs> just to keep it real, just to keep it real, right? I mean, but we have to start somewhere. It's interesting, you know, you'd be up till four. When I started my business, I used to get up at four. And it wasn't that I, and, and work, again, really quiet, nothing else going on. And by nine o'clock, when other people started, I could have done so much work. And yep. it, I do think that obsessive thing, I just woke up. I don't know if it was because I was excited for the first time in work, but if people that discover NOM now are like, oh, overnight success, right? People do that, but they don't see the years and years. And also the damage maybe you did. They don't see the struggle. And also there's a lot of business successful gurus that are like, hey, you know, you don't need to graft. but those early years and learning the hard way and being hit in the face by a shovel over and over and over again and learning eventually to duck is what has built everything that is successful today. Yeah. What's more important to you, time or money? It used to be money. Because you needed that as your driver to not get it. Because we needed it. Yeah. Because I needed that motivation. I needed that we're never going to be in this position again. Let's sort ourselves out, secure our future, so we are never in that position again. Yeah. That and also trying to prove my own worth, which, I mean, yeah. Um, we all have core beliefs, and m- my particular one is I'm not good enough, so I'm going to prove to everyone and everything that I am. So those were the biggest motivators. A very common one for hugely successful people is they don't feel worthy. And it's a theme that's come up on here. And I think that, you know, the people pleaser helping other people not feeling worthy is part of the drive why you keep doing the things you do. And then other people go, how do you do it all? I bet you get asked all the time, how do you do it all? And you're like, well, I don't really know. But those core beliefs are probably part of the driver of of how you do it all, right? Massively. I I went to therapy four years ago. I did not want to go. And I'd reached a point where I was mentally exhausted, physically exhausted, getting sick of being hit in the shovel so many times, whether I'm so stealing that analogy. You know where it came from, just to jump in, is we, I've got um, uh, twins, they're seven now, but when my daughter was, I think, two or three, um, we were in a harvester, because that's quality, and you can, you can, the kids can throw food in there. And then the kids were at that running around stage like crazy. And my daughter ran full pelt through what she thought was a gap. And she got hit. She ran into the top of one of those big table, wooden tables. And she just completely polaxed. She was flat on her back. And, and me and my wife were like, oh, my God, we're waiting for the scream and everything else. And we looked at her and she just got back up and ran through the gap and off she went. And I was like, oh my God, that's how I feel when I'm starting this business is I'm running at full pelt and I get polaxed and I've just got to get up. I've got to be more like, hey, just get up because that's what kids do, right? They just get up and keep running. Yep. And they would, if she did it again, Carry she'd on. do the same thing, right? 
But yeah, sorry, yeah, that's you were fed up with the shovels and you just needed some help, right? Which I think again is a, a very important yeah, thing to do. Yeah, I exactly. I needed some help to a unpack it, b work out why it was that way, which was I think the most important thing. But also just to come up with some strategies to kind of manage because, I mean, I still don't sleep now. I mean, I was my watch told me this morning that I had three and a half hours sleep last night. I'm like, thanks. I still don't sleep now. <laughs> just can't. Again, it's really like the number of hours versus quality of sleep is the key thing. Like maybe you're just someone, I mean, I don't know, you said you're knackered all the time, so maybe not, but <laughs> trying to pick some positives <laughs> out of this. Maybe three and a half hours is all you need because some people need yeah. less. I mean, my body is pretty much used to it now, to be fair. It's been this way for quite some years. But yeah, I needed to be able to offload. But also because Kate and I live and work together. It's really difficult. I'm not going to sit here and go, it's been a walk in the park because it has not. I mean, for us to be able to be upfront about work with each other, we have to remove some of the emotion that comes part and part with it. I certainly do. I'm a very emotive person. I will do things on gut instinct. Kate is the opposite. She is entirely the opposite. And it's it has been difficult. I mean, we've been together now for 18 years, which is quite a long time. Yeah. That's a double murder charge, isn't it? Yeah. So, <laughs> Tell that's me the commitment. That's the commitment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to... Um, we're out of time, actually. Um, and I don't think I've asked any of the questions I was supposed to ask. So let's just do a quick fire. Does purpose make you happy? It does now. Um, purpose really makes me happy now. I think I sacrifice less of myself to get there. And in doing so, it's much more enjoyable by yeah. far. It's taken you a long time to get to that point as well. But it, the fact that you're there now and you talk about it and you articulate it and you're open about did therapy a relationship and a business partner isn't easy you know what can we do how can we you know manage that those are the real things that's what makes you authentic that's what makes you an inspiring leader for other people and for the listeners of this where it's not all just the glossy photos it's also the burnt pizza right yeah oh definitely i mean it was it was all right it wasn't bad it was yeah it was a bit grim to be fair What's your favourite biscuit and why? So this question, so I get asked, I've been asked so many questions about Pinch of Dom over the years and I have not had this question and I was absolutely elated. So recently I had COVID and for anyone that knows me, knows that chocolate digestives got me through completely what variety so not the brand oh, it has to be milk, milk dark, dark chocolate. chocolate on a digestive is wrong oh you're, you were so close <laughs> to getting a, a you know, perfect score for the podcast i agree i think i think a milk chocolate digestive is a quality choice i think a biscuit i've got a scale we've got five points scale but chocolate yep. on a biscuit is absolutely key it's dunkable yep. it's feastable it's there's some eating alchemy there because you can, you know, breaking a digestive in half and eating half each is different from just chucking the whole thing yeah. in, right? But it is a very good answer. And with that, I, I'm going to wrap things up. It's been a phenomenal conversation and I've, I've absolutely loved it. I've loved hearing 
you know, the stories that have led to the success, I've loved hearing about how you two are just complete opposites. Although the thing that I do think has tied you together is the purpose and the serving other people. And also maybe your, you know, that lentils disagree with both of you. So there's no lentils. I mean, if it wasn't for the lentils, we might not be here. So, yeah. Exactly. You never know. You never know. Um, so, yeah, I want to say a massive thank you for joining us today. Um, yeah, and you did get all the questions right other than the biscuit one. So that's a pretty good <laughs> performance. At this podcast, we are building a community of purpose-led leaders and we want to be part of the revolution to a true purpose-led economy through inspiring every professional to think more purposely. To the humans that listen to the podcast, thank you. You're helping build a more purposely business future. We love hearing your feedback and reviews and comments do make a difference. So it's going to take us years, maybe decades to get there, but change is happening. <laughs>